0: Gathering here tonight, and just trust that your spirit is well able to handle the anointing in this room as well as in the two classes that are going on right now. We thank you that in each of those classes, people will hear tonight what they need to hear. And Father, we come tonight to open your word, the word that the, your living word that reveals to us that the relationship that you have with us is not just some whimsical thing that you felt that you felt a desire to do one day and you may get up tomorrow and decide you don't want to do it tomorrow. But this a relationship we have with you is bla- based on an eternal blood covenant. And the benefits of that covenant are literally out of this world. And so, Father, tonight as we go further into our study of the covenant that you've entered into with us through Christ, may the Spirit of God open the eyes of our understanding to truly see what it is you have done for us. And we thank you for that in advance. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I'm not going to spend much time in review because we have a lot of ground to cover tonight. And a lot of, a very, this is a very important uh, to give you a sense of confidence that this truly is a covenant that God has entered into with us. We talked last week very briefly about, or we talked, not briefly, we talked about the fact that, that covenants were, were, were an institution that would go back thousands and thousands of years. God didn't make those up. Man made them up. And the idea of a covenant is, what it, is a way of creating relationships between families, between, uh, between tribes in some parts of the world, between nations, uh, to create some certainty out of their relationship. And when God wanted to establish a certainty with man, God's word ought to be enough, because God cannot lie. But God knows us. He knows we need more than that. So God will enter into a series, different, there are a number of different covenants in the Bible, but this is the most sacred and the most important covenant, and it is a blood covenant. We talked about the difference between a contract and a covenant. And this is very important to understand because a contract is simply an exchange of promises. And under under law, at least American jurisprudence and English jurisprudence, that a contract is you, each of us, make a promise to one another. and, And that's enough to make a contract. Some of them have to be in writing, but many of them don't have to be in writing. But a contract's only as good as your promise. But a covenant is where to give a greater security than your promise, you give something with it as security. And basically the definition that we've used is you commit something with your promise. We broke the word commit down, which means to send something along with So basically a covenant is when you give something to back up your promise. And there are different types of covenant. And the different types of covenant depend on what it is you gave as security for your covenant. So in a mortgage, if you read through your mortgage, I guess they still do that. It'll have mortgage covenants that are written in there. And those are established by law and established in some cases by contract. So the highest type of covenant is a blood covenant. And the reason that's the highest type is the blood covenant represents the pledge of your life. So the concept is this. If you pledge your life under a blood covenant and you break that covenant, you forfeit your life. In a, in a situation where families entered into covenants with one another, um, and, and they, they, or tribes represented into covenants with one another, if a member of your family broke that covenant, your family would hunt you down and kill you. It was that serious. It was that important. We ended last week looking at the significance of the blood because in Leviticus 17, God explains that the life is in the blood. So the shedding of blood, very important to understand in the Bible, the relationship we have with God through Christ has to do with the shedding of blood. The reason the shedding of blood is important, because the shedding of blood represents the giving of a life in place of another in many cases. This is why the Jews were not allowed to drink blood. They could not drink blood. Some cultures, they involved, the covenant involved the drinking of blood, but the Jews were forbidden of it because they were not allowed to take the life of another into their own body, especially the life life of an animal, because the blood of that animal represented its life. So we ended with that, and then we ended with this point that the essence of covenant is this. In a blood covenant, you are pledging to the other person or the other tribe or the other family all of your assets, all of your liabilities, all of who you are. In essence, the two become one. And the the greatest example of that, the institution that God has created in this earth is is the covenant of marriage. Because the essence of a covenant of marriage is two individuals become one. Therefore all their assets and all their liabilities now become one. And this is why God hates divorce. If you've been divorced, God forgives it. God's grace is there, but he hates divorce. Malachi talks about this because the breaking of a covenant, it's the breaking of a blood covenant. And we don't have time to go through all that tonight. So but that's important to understand. The essence of covenant, a blood covenant, is to now become one. Important for our foundation. Tonight what we're going to look at is God entering into covenant with man. This is unthinkable in other cultures. It's unthinkable that God, the creator of the universe, would enter into a covenant with man. First of all, he shouldn't need to because his word is enough. But in order to do that, God had to humble himself in order to enter into a covenant with men. But see, that's what God's like. We just read that in Philippians 2. God's love is such that He'll come to where you are. He's not demanding you come up to where He is. He'll come to where you are, and out of that, He'll bring you up to where you are. So Jesus humbled Himself. And i want to I'll go off and preach that if I'm not careful. So God, in doing this, we're going to see God, it says God blessed Abraham. The Hebrew word for blessed is Barach. Are you ready for this? The, what the root of that word means is to kneel before. To humble yourself and to kneel before. So when God blessed Abraham, He humbled Himself before Abraham. Why? Because God is obviously the greater. And God had a right to demand things of Abraham, but God comes to Abraham and God has come to man to humble himself and to bow to us and to give himself to us. This is why Ephesians 5 tells that husbands and wives are to submit themselves to one another out of a reverence for Christ. And it tells us how to do it. The husband is to submit to his wife by loving her as Christ loves the church. The wife is to submit to her husband by respecting him. I don't have time to get into that. There's a reason why it's two different things. But they're both to submit to one another. There's different ways of acting that out. But it is a way of blessing. Because Christ has done that for us. Amen. And so we'll move into this. Otherwise we'll never get finished what we've got to do tonight. So... We're going to look at, first of all tonight, in fact, we're going to look at tonight is the steps that they would go through to enter into a covenant. And we're going to see these are some rather dramatic steps. And they're, they're all physical acts, some physical uh, uh, event, some physical act that would take place. Because the purpose of these ceremonies was to ingrain in their senses the seriousness of what they were doing. I was thinking about this this morning as I got up thinking, you know, this is why in a marriage ceremony we make such a big deal out of it, because it ought to be something that you remember and can look back on and say, oh yeah, I did that, I said I do. I didn't just send you an email, I didn't just text you I do, we showed up together in front of witnesses with a big to-do in most cases, and made a public commitment and declaration so that I can look back and remember 51 and a half years ago, I told her I would and I'm still trying to do it. <laughs> and we had witnesses there. All right. So what we're going to see are these are physical acts performed that they performed, but it was designed to get in their phys- in their senses the seriousness of what they're do- doing and it's important to understand that because we're going to see some rather unusual things that they did. Second thing about this is Every time somebody entered into a covenant, they didn't necessarily do all of these things. Uh, so these are a list of things that were generally done, uh, and then we'll go we'll go, go through them. Now the Hebrew word for covenant is berith, b-e-r-i-t-h, and and the root of that word means to cut a covenant. So the first step that was done in the entering of a covenant, I'm not talking about God now, I'm talking about two men, two tribes, two families entering a covenant, is they would cut their bodies somewhere so blood would flow. Cut their bodies somewhere, because it's a blood covenant. And then they would mingle that blood together. Remember, the life is in the blood, and the essence of covenant is when we're done, we're union, we're now one with each other. We're now blood brothers So the idea is, my blood is now flowing in your veins, and your blood is now flowing in my veins. So sometimes they would cut their hand, they may cut um, something on their chest, they may cut their forehead, they may, in, in some cultures, not Hebrew, they would cut it, put it in a cup, and they'd each drink the other's blood. But the Hebrews were prohibited to do that. So they might take it, cut their wrists. They'd bind their wrists together so that, you know, some kids used to do, they called blood brothers. But well, this is where it came from. But the concept of this is the blood that flows in my veins is my life. The blood that flows in your veins is your life. So if I cut my body and you cut yours, and now my blood gets into yours and yours gets into mine, now that symbolizes we have one life. And it doesn't it in a way, it, it does it in a way I'm not likely to forget it. For several reasons. I can remember the pain of being cut here or cut here. The other thing which leads into something else we'll talk about later. It leaves a mark. It leaves a scar. And that scar becomes a public sign of the covenant. A public sign of the covenant. We talked last week when we gave some general concept about covenant is that, that one of the, the, one of the, some of the information we have about it historically is when Livingston went to look for Stanley. I get them mixed up. And, and each of them in the accounts, they had to cut covenants with different tribes in order for protection when they went somewhere else. Now the example I'm going to use is not a real example as far as I know, but, but it will get the point across. So what would happen, for instance, suppose you had, suppose you had uh, the Maasai tribe, which were seven-foot warriors, but they don't know how to raise cattle. And then you had the four-foot pygmies, and they have the water, and they have the cattle, but they're not very good fighters. So they recognize we need each other. So they come together and they make a covenant, and they will make some mark on themselves so, that the, so to remember it. So that so suppose you get this four-foot pygmy and he's entered into a covenant with the seven-foot feared warrior Maasai tribe and that mark is on their hand. And he's going down a trail someday and these bad guys jump him. What's he going to do? He's going to put his... This is part of where this comes from. Put his hand up. And those bad guys looking at his hand see a mark on that hand. that tells them this little four-foot is in a blood covenant with somebody else and I better find out who it is before I mess with him next time which will be in a couple of weeks we're going to look at some examples in the Old Testament of exactly that happening the key of David and Goliath is exactly that the key to some other stories is understanding if you mess with Israel who you're really messing with still true today Still true today. Alright, so the, the cutting, the cutting represented, represented, caused blood to flow, which was then combined somehow. And the scar left a sign of that covenant. The second thing they would do is they would exchange some article of clothing, like their coat, or their cape, or, or, or some article of clothing, especially like a coat. Because the coat tended to represent it represented their, uh, in Eastern cultures, it represented their personalities. Remember when Jacob um, took a particular liking to one of his sons, Joseph? What did he do? He gave him a special coat of many colors, which caused all kinds of trouble for him eventually, and then in his family, because that represented how his father saw him, his personality. So an exchange of coats, or exchange of cloaks, represented uh, an exchange of your personality. So each of these is a giving a part of yourself to the other person. Uh, a further sign of the exchange of lives. Then they would exchange a sword. Exchange a sword or a belt or a quiver or some arrows, and that represents an exchange, a pledge of power. So first of all, it's a pledge of life. Then the coat is a pledge of my personality, I'm here for you. But now I give you my sword, I give you my arrows or my bow. That's saying, I'm giving you my strength. I pledge to defend you and provide whatever power that I have that you need. In 1 Samuel eighteen three and 4 is, a, is where David and Jonathan enter into a covenant with each other. And there's an exchange of robes and there's an exchange of sword and bow and their girdle, the thing that held it up. The next thing they would do is, this is really exciting, Well, they would take a part of each other's name and they would share that. That's part of the marriage covenant we make. There's a a giving of names, and I'm not going to get into that tonight. But there's a sharing of names because your name tends to represent your identity. Uh, uh, In in Isaiah 43, God says, I know, I call you by your social security number, (laughs) by your driver's license number. By your Medicare number. No, I call you by your name. God refers to you by your name. Your name is your identity. <laughs> I remember we, there were five boys in our family, and when mother get up, when my mother would get excited and upset, she'd look at one of us, point their finger at it, and she couldn't remember which name it was. So she'd go through all of them. <laughs> Somebody know what that's like? <laughs> I found myself doing that with Molly the other night. So, Okay, so they took part of each other's name. Their name represents the person's personality. And it showed that their identities were becoming one. Their identities were becoming one. Then they would recite the blessings and the curses of the covenant. We don't have time to look there tonight. But there are places like in, in Deuteronomy, where, where after God would make promises to them, Uh, They would stand on different sides of the valley and they would recite the blessings and they would recite the curses. And this is to get in everybody's sense what you're going to get if you keep it and what's going to happen if you break it. You'll see in Deuteronomy 28, God recites the blessings of keeping the law and the curse of breaking the law. And so they they would recite the blessings and the curses if it were broken. Then they would perform some kind of ritual or sacrifice as a symbol of what they had done. They would perform a ritual or sacrifice that that involved usually the shedding of blood. And the most common one was that they would take one or more animals and they would split them down the middle and lay the halves open. Now, that's going to get kind of bloody. And then, as we're going to see down the road, the, you know, if you have tribes or you had families, not everybody in the tribe or everybody in the family went through the ceremony. They would pick somebody as the representative. Usually it would be a chief or the, the elder or somebody like that. So what would happen at this point is they would take the animals, they would cut them right down the middle, lay them open like this. So that's representing taking one whole life and now dividing it into two halves, and then the participants would link themselves arm in arm, which represents walking together in agreement, and they would walk in a figure eight pattern through the middle of these divided, and that was was a bloody path, and it was often called the way. Hmm. I am... The way. And they would walk down through the blood. And then would come back around this way, and then they walk back down through it and come back around the other way. Now the significance of the figure eight is that it's an infinity. It has no beginning. And so it's an eternal covenant. Now, Now think of the practicality. By the time you're finished with this and you're sloshing around in in blood and animal parts, that's getting in your senses. If you've ever smelled blood, I don't mean a little cut, but I mean blood. It has a very particular smell and it gets in your senses. And you've been sloshing, walking around in this. The idea is you're saturated with blood. There's blood on your clothes. There's blood everywhere. So you know how serious this is. This is a blood covenant. Right. Right. Not to be broken. In uh, Jeremiah 34, they may be able to put that up there. God is reminding them of a covenant. He said, And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant and who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it. Verse 19. Well, that's good enough. Okay. The princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, eunuchs, who passed between the parts of the calf. So I wanted you to see that that was the practice. Then they would make a memorial of the covenant. The whole idea of all of this is so, first of all, they understand the very seriousness of what they're doing. I don't want to get off on this, but if we just did this more with marriage today, We wouldn't have the divorces we have today. Because if people understood what they were doing. There are some cultures where instead of giving a wedding ring, they carve it into their finger. You think twice before you exchange those kind of rings. And you can't just take it off so easily. Maybe not a bad idea. Maybe we'll consider that here. So these are all designed to get in their senses the seriousness of what they're doing and the commitment that they're making. And they would make a memorial of some kind. The Old Testament is filled with them making memorials and things like that. they make a memorial. Sometimes it was a pile of rocks. Sometimes it was a sign. Sometimes it would be to take a, 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 a herd or, or sheep and, and mix them together when... when uh, uh, Abraham and Abimelech made a covenant. They took sheep and they combined them together. So what's going to happen as these sheep interrelate and they produce sheep, these sheep that they they have produced now come out of the combination of the sheep's sheep coming from the two different families or the two different nations. So there would be some sign that they could look back. Maybe some of them would plant a grove of trees where they could look back and look at it and remember, oh, this is what I did. It's in part what a wedding ring is intended to oh yeah, I remember that. So they had to cut mine off when they did the surgery here, so that's why I don't have it on now. And my finger's still swollen. Uh, they have a common flock. The purpose, again, was to have some tangible reminder of what they'd done. And then they'd celebrate the covenant with a meal, a covenant meal. I mean, they, they were Christians back then. Can't get together without having a meal. A covenant meal, but it wasn't just, you know, fried chicken and and mashed potatoes. It always involved wine, and it involved bread. The wine represented the blood, the sharing of their lives. Come on. And the bread represented the union of their bodies. Does this sound like something we do here? The meal was a celebration. The meal was a celebration. It was not the cutting of the covenant. By the time they did the meal, the covenant had already been entered into. This was a celebration together of the two families, the two tribes, the two groups, to celebrate what they had done. It was done after the covenant was accomplished, and it was shared by members of both sides of the covenant. Now let's go to Genesis 15. We're going to now look at God going through these steps of a covenant to enter into covenant with man. And every time I teach this, it just overwhelms me that God would do this. God wouldn't just say, I've entered into a covenant with you, but He would humble Himself and go through man's exercises so that man would know that God had entered into a covenant with him. This is the, Now, in this case, God has already appeared to Abraham several times. But now he's going to get serious and tell him why. He's already told him to pack up and leave where he was, and he'll show him where he's going. Imagine going home and telling your wife that. No, we don't go there. <laughs> after, that, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Notice his name is Abram, A-B-R-A-M. In a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Now, let's stop there. If you don't understand some of what we've talked about, you don't understand what God's saying to him. God's not just saying, Abram, I'm going to protect you if you need it. God, God In the Hebrew, this is not saying, I will, I will protect you. He's saying, I am your shield. I am your shield. Your reward. He's giving. God doesn't have armor to give, so God gives him self as the armor. Amen. Now we're going to see that Abraham knew exactly what God was doing. Look at down to. Um, we'll just read on down through verse two. And Abraham said, "Lord God, what will you give me?" There doesn't appear to be a connection there. God's saying, I'll be your shield and your exceeding great reward. And Abram saying, what do I get out of this? So somewhere Abraham understood God was giving something to him. God was pledging something to him. And now we're going to see Abram goes right away to the greatest need, the thing that mattered the most to him. And Abram said, uh, what will you give me that I'm childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? The practice back then is if the wife was barren, in order to have your name carried on, you would adopt one of your servants. And that's what he's saying. Right now, the only heir I have is one of my servants, Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. Look at verse 4. And and the word of the Lord came to him saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one will come from your own body shall be your heir. So God is now making a promise to him that's impossible to keep. Because Abraham's too old and his wife's barren. Plus she's too old. And God specializes in things that are impossible. So now God's got to somehow get across to Abraham. These are not just empty words you heard on Sunday morning and was nice and we go back and go about our affairs and deal with the circumstances of life and face the circumstances of my life, which every day, every time I get up, every time I take a shower, every time I get dressed, every time I look at her, it tells me this ain't happening. This is impossible, God. So God has to do something to communicate to Abraham, Abram still then, this is going to happen. And then verse 5, I love this one. He brought him outside and said, Look towards the heaven and count them. I've got to be careful because I'll preach here. And, and, and see if you're able to number them. So shall your descendants be. Now God's not talking about a physical seed. In verse 4, He's telling him, There's going to come a physical child out of the union between you, the old man, and your wife, old lady, who's barren. And that becomes, of course, Isaac. Now he's talking about spiritual seed, which includes you and me, which we'll see at the end of this course. <laughs> oh, I've got to be careful. God thinks it's so big. Abraham can't get his mind about one child, and God's talking about millions of nations coming out of him. Amen. So shall your descendants be. Let's go down to... Uh, Verse 6 says he believed him. Verse 7. And then he, God, said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of Chaldea to give you this land to inherit it. So he brought him out to give him the land, and he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit God just said, I brought you out to give it, and Abraham struggling said, how do I know you're going to do what you said? See, See, there's a time when we can question God and God understands the question because what he's telling us is so far beyond what he understands we can believe. Then there's times we question God and he knows we ought to believe him. John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, an angel appeared to him and said, your wife's going to have a baby. And he questioned it and the angel said, I'm going to keep you quiet because if you open your mouth, you're going to release the wrong spirit on this so you'll be dumb, you won't be able to speak until this child's born. And that's what happened. Then he goes to Mary and says, not only are you going to have a child and you don't even know a man, but this is the Son of God's going to be conceived in you. And she says, how can this be since I'm a virgin and don't know a man? How come the angel didn't strike her and say, you better keep your mouth shut? Because he understood that what he was telling her was so far beyond that, that, that he understood her questioning. But she had a submissive heart. Because what did she say then? Be it done unto me according to your spirit. She didn't argue with him. She was trying to understand. And that's the difference. That's the difference. So Abram's Abram's trying to understand. He wanted God to prove himself. So look what God says. Verse 9. So God said to him, Bring to me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, a young pigeon, And he brought all of these things to him, and look, he cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. Verse 11, And the vultures came down on the carcasses, and Adam drove them away. The vultures represent Satan. What do they come to do? To steal, kill, and destroy. Satan's trying to steal the pieces of this covenant. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a horror and great darkness fell on him. And he, God, said to him, know that certainly your descendants will be strangers in the land and not heirs. Let's go to, um, let's go to verse, yeah, okay. Let's go down to verse 17. And it came to pass, when the sun went down, it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoke, smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between these two pieces, and on that same day, the Lord made covenant with Abram, saying. The words in Hebrew in verse 18, when it says, "The Lord made covenant," it says, "The Lord cut covenant with Abram." Now what is the smoking lamp? and the burning... and What's the smoking lamp doing? What's all this piece doing? Well, remember I said that that one of the things you would do is open the, cut the pieces in half, and clearly God's commanded Abram to do that. And now, instead of... God can't link arms with Abram and walk through the middle of these pieces. So instead, Abram has a vision of this, and in the vision, there's a smoking lamp, a smoking oven, and a burning torch. What's that all about? Well... The smoking furnace is God, who's a consuming fire, and the burning lamp is the Word, or a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ. So, here, symbolically, you have God the Father and God the Son passing between the pieces of the covenant. What we're going to see at the end of this is God's entering into a covenant, physically covenant with Abram, but it is just a precursor. It's just the the hors d'oeuvre, it is is a holding place until God could enter into a covenant with Christ for our benefit. But Christ wasn't on the earth at the time. Jesus wasn't on the earth at the time. So here you have symbolically God the Father and God the Son passing through the pieces of the split animal representing a covenant ceremony about the union. Chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me, be blameless. Verse 2. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, saying... uh, And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of many nations. Now look at this. No longer shall your name be called Abram. Now look how that's spelled. A-B-R-A-H-A-M. For I have made you. I have made you. Notice God's now, up until now, God's talking in terms of what He will do. Now God's talking in terms of what He has done because the entering of a covenant means God's already given everything that He promised now when He entered into the covenant. So this is where it will change your prayer life. The covenant we have with God, God's already given everything you're ever going to need so we don't ever have to go to God and talk Him into doing it because in the covenant, God's already given it and pledged it. Then what do we have to do? We have to believe we received. That's what Jesus taught us. We have to believe we received by faith. Be careful, I'll preach here. Yeah. Jesus was in a room teaching and it says the, the power to heal was present. Didn't, they, didn't say Jesus was looking around the room and says, I wonder who God wants to heal here. The power to heal was present to whomever we believe. The woman with the issue of blood. She said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. She touched it, power went out, and then Jesus said, who touched me? So the power must have already been there, to heal her and available. There were many other people touching him. How come they didn't get healed? Because she believed that what was in him was available to her, and she received it. But your name shall be Abraham. Now, I, I, I didn't have, if I had thought of it earlier, I would have done a, a slide to show this to you. Abram, A B R A M. Remember, it, part of entering into covenant is an exchange of names. Right? Abram's name up until this point is Abram, A B R A M. Two, two, two syllables. God says it's now going to be Abraham. One of the key root names for God is Yah. Y-A-H. So what God's doing is He's taking the last two letters of His name and inserting them in the middle of Abram. So it's now Abraham. So God has given His name to Abram. Oh, it gets better. God now takes Abraham's name and joins it to Himself. Because from this time on, yeah, you know where we're going, Ray. This time on, God calls Himself, I am the God of Abraham. What is of? Of is a possessive pronoun, which means belonging to. So God now identifies Himself as, I am God, but I am the God who belongs to Abraham. That's who I now am. Woo! Woo! Amen. So God took Abraham's name. I am now the God, or the God who belongs to Abraham. He also calls Himself Abraham. I'm a friend of Abraham. Well, that's nice. They're buddies. No, no. You understand, in, the old, in, those, in those cultures, friend was not a casual word. Friend was a covenant term. Friend didn't mean occasion, uh, you know, a, 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 a casual acquaintance. We might go to Starbucks together. Friend means a lifelong friend. Friend means we're joined together. Remember, Jesus told His disciples, I no longer call your servants, but you're now friends. Because a servant, you know, you a master doesn't tell his servant what he's doing. But you are my friends now. That didn't mean they were buddy-buddies. That meant they were now covenant partners. They were one because he went ahead and told them, I am the vine and you are the branch. We're now one together. The essence of covenant. The essence of covenant. Verse 10. This is my covenant which shall, shall keep between you, me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised where? In the flesh of your foreskin. Why? It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Remember the very first step we looked at is they would cut themselves somewhere causing the shedding of blood. And one of the things that cut did is it left a mark, a sign of the covenant so that every time they saw that scar or someone else saw that scar, they were now identified as being in covenant with the person that they made that cut with. The rite of circumcision was the cutting of a covenant, a physical blood covenant that left a physical difference in every male Jew, Hebrew, from eight days old and older. This is why Moses wasn't surprised according to, you know, Cecil B. DeMille's movie, The Ten Commandments. Moses knew growing up he was a Hebrew. Why? Because he was circumcised on the eighth day of his life. Every day a Hebrew male was reminded, I won't go into details about this, that he was in covenant with God. Right. The way that, that Hebrews identified somebody that did not have a covenant, what did David call Goliath? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? David saying, who is, I don't care if he's 12 feet tall, who is he? He's got no covenant with God. We're going to look at that story in terms of the covenant view. It involved the shedding of blood. It left a mark. Remember Moses' wife on the way back into to Egypt? And, and there, there's, Moses is coming in, and the Spirit of God came in almost killed him. And he realized, I haven't circumcised my sons. And so he goes to do it, and his wife, who was not a Jew, was mad at him. And she took the bloody foreskins and threw them at him. if I remember correctly. She was mad. But Moses understood. Before Israel could enter in, the second generation, could enter into the promised land... They had to circumcise their male because they had not done that in their time in the wilderness. Because they had to re-enter in that covenant, they had to renew the commitment that their basis for their confidence that they were going to be able to overcome those enemies was not because they were more numerous, not because they had such good generals, but because they were in covenant with God. And and to go in there without the mark of that covenant was to deny the covenant and to go in there under their own protection. These steps were sometimes taken over several years. After the prior steps, Abraham showed signs of... (laughs) Abraham, it's interesting, we don't have time to go through the whole story, but but Abraham starts entering into it, and then, I mean, one of the first things he does is panic when things aren't going well, when there's a famine, so he runs down to Egypt. He gets down into Egypt... And and Abimelech, who was the, the pharaoh, was the head. You know, Abraham's although she was sixty five, she was pretty good looking, apparently, because he was concerned that the king would take his wife. So he said, "Have her. She's my sister." There was some truth in that. Have her, because Abraham's trying to Abraham's trying to protect himself. So he was not yet fully persuaded in this covenant. So it's a process by which he had to, had to grow in the reality of this covenant. So it's just so you've gone through the ceremony doesn't mean that it's real to you yet. And that's one of the purposes of this course that we're going through, is first of all inform you what it is and then help you walk through. You will walk through it the rest of your walk with the Lord, having this become more and more and more and more and more and more real to you. And the wonderful thing about God is when you get to Romans chapter 4... And God's looking back on Abraham. It said, Abraham wavered not in unbelief. I almost wonder if God read the Old Testament. He wavered all over the place in unbelief. I, I didn't read it. At one point, he laughs at God. His wife laughs at God. God sends angels to say, this time next year, you'll have a child." And she just falls on her face and laughs. And yet when God looks back, God says about him, He never wavered in unbelief. Isn't it nice that God looks back on you and the struggles we've had together, and we look back at the times we said, I can't ever make it. and And God looks back and He just kind of says, He looks at the end. He doesn't look at how you got there. He doesn't look at last night or the night before. He just, He looks at the end result. He looks... At the end result, Genesis 14. We're going to go backwards a little bit here, right before we started. <laughs> now, what's happened here, I don't have time to go through the. Oh, boy. Um, when Abram left uh, Haran, he took his nephew Lot with him, his brother's son. Took him with him, Lot. And they got to the land God had promised, and they both prospered. And it got so prosperous that their, their, their herds were competing with each other for the food, and their servants were squabbling with each other. So Abram said, look, see if Abraham had fully obeyed God, that wouldn't have happened because God didn't tell him to bring his relatives with him. Sometimes we take our relatives with us. I won't go there. And so Abram says to Lot, he said, look, we've we got we to got part company here. So here, there's, there's this grazing land we have up here, and then this beautiful green valley with all the vegetation. You choose. I love that. Abraham wasn't dependent on the condition of the land where he lived. He knew God would provide for him. Amen. So he didn't have to be moved, but he didn't, he didn't have to pick the best. He gave Lot the choice. Lot was governed by his senses. So Lot chose what looked the most prosperous to him. What Lot did not take into consideration is along with the green grazing ground was Sodom and Gomorrah which almost destroyed him and his family. God, his wife. God had to send an angel to rescue him at the last moment. Abram chose the other. He, let, he chose what was left. The moment Lot leaves and chooses, chooses what he could see and what his senses told him was the best, God shows up to Abram. He says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to walk around and I want you to lift up your eyes, and I'm going to give you every place you can see. I'll give it to you. That's the covenant that he had with God. But then later on, Abram hears that some three nations have come down, and they've attacked Sodom and Gomorrah, and they've taken Lot and his family and possessions. So Abram organizes a a search and rescue party, and they go and they defeat... What's his name? Chedorlaomer, I think it is, and bring them back, and 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 they have all the spoils. It's interesting because Abraham says, "I don't want them. You you take the spoils. I don't want man to have made me. I don't want man to have made me rich." We're going to pick up in verse eighteen. After all of this, Melchizedek, king of Salem. Now, the name Melchizedek in Hebrew means Prince of Righteousness. King of Salem, which is the Hebrew word Shalom, which is peace. So this name in Hebrew means Prince of Righteousness and Prince of Peace. Brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. A priest is a go-between. A priest is someone that represents one party to the other. Another term could be mediator or intercessor. So here you have this being show up, and, and we're not going to have time to get in all of this, but, but, but it says he had no father or mother. He had no beginning or end. So he's eternal. His name is Prince of Righteousness and Prince of Peace, and he's the priest, the mediator of the Most High God. It doesn't take a a doctorate degree in theology to figure out who this is. In fact, it takes a doctor's degree in theology to decide it's not Christ. That's just my own pet peeve there. And he blesses Abram. And Abram blesses him back. And then Abram takes of what the spoils and gave Melchizedek a tithe of everything he got. But the point here is Abram, God through a pre-incarnate... pre-incarnate just means before, before Nazareth, before he was born to Mary. It means before he was incarnate in the earth. But he did appear in a number of places. And here's one of them. And so here you've got Christ coming down as a mediator on behalf of the Father and he ministers bread, and he ministers wine. So we see God giving Abram his shield. We see God giving Abraham a promise to defend him. We see God giving Abraham his name, and Abraham taking Abraham's name. We see them symbolically God and the Son walking through the pieces, and Abraham understood. Then we see the cutting of the covenant. Abraham understood that God had entered into a blood covenant with man. And this covenant that Abraham enters into, that God enters into with man, is the basis of the covenant relationship that we have with God, except ours is through Christ. And we come to the end of this, of, of this study, you're going to see with great power what the covenant you have with God is through Christ, that is unshakable covenant because the covenant was not made between Abraham and God. It was made between God the Father and God the Son. Abraham was a placeholder until the real could come and enter into an unshakable, eternal covenant that is sealed because the strength of the covenant is the faithfulness of the parties entering into it. So in order for this covenant To fail, God the Father or God the Son have to be unfaithful to it. It's not based on your faithfulness. It's based on their faithfulness to each other. And we'll see when we get there how you become a part of that and a share in that faithfulness. A share in that faithfulness. So next time we're going to look, we're going to take, so what we're doing is we're laying... Basic principles of how they would enter a covenant. Then we've looked at how God did that with Abraham. And now we're going to look next time, we're going to look at some Bible stories like David and Goliath and Hezekiah and some others. And we're going to see how... Men that understood what we've said here, how it changed how they saw the world that they were in, how it changed how they saw the the attacks of the enemy, how it changed how they saw themselves and how they handled their life and how they walked victorious when other people failed because they looked at everything through the covenant glasses, the glasses of the blood covenant that they had with God. Let's pray. Father, You are an awesome God. We sing that over and over again. To me right now, Father, the most awesome thing is that You would submit Yourself to a, human, to a human ceremony. The God of all creation. The God who has the right to demand that we believe You. The God who has the right to demand things of us. Instead, You came and You humbled Yourself. And you came to us on our terms that we could accept and we could receive. Because you're not trying to prove something about yourself. It's because you love us and you want us for your own. Father, as we continue to process in our minds these scriptures and process in our mind these principles and these practices, may the living Spirit of God inside of us The teacher, take these truths and begin to make them real to us in our everyday lives. For Father, it doesn't mean anything to come here on Wednesday nights or even on Sunday morning and get excited about what the Word says. But it's as we apply it in our lives and it begins to become real in the circumstances that we face. That's when you become more real to us. So, Father, in this week ahead and in these several weeks between this time and the next time we open this subject together, may the precious Holy Spirit begin to help us to look at our life and the challenges of our life and the blessings of our life, and not in terms of circumstances, but in terms of the covenant that we have with you through Christ. And we thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I know almost everybody in here, but just for chance to